0: Okay, we're last series, well, not last series, this is not our last series. This is the last week in our series Faith Forward. Doors are closed next week, people. It's all over. No, someone was happy about that. But we're finishing our series called Faith Forward, and uh, oh, man, we have too many scriptures to go through this week for me to even tell you one place to go to. So here's what I'll do. Joel 2, and then Acts chapter 1. I'll just tell you those. Those are two of the scriptures that we're looking at this week. Sounds real planned out, I know. But what we've been doing in this series is looking at what are the things that we need to do to continue to move our faith forward. Because what God's called you to uh, when he saved you, when he revealed his goodness to you, and you decided to follow after him, faith was born inside of you, but that wasn't the end of it, that God's wanting to continue to lead you, to change you, transform you, make you into his image, and lead you into all of the things that he created you to do. we have been going through and looking at a lot of things like um, being a part of the church, Um, giving, serving, uh, reading scripture, uh, some other things, I'm sure. And if you've been doing these things, what you'll find is that they have the power to completely transform your life. If you put these practices into your life, if you make the deliberate decisions and develop the disciplines, your life will change by doing these things and your faith will move forward. You will become like Jesus and you will move into everything that he's called you to do. But you also might find that a lot of these practices and disciplines can be pretty dry and boring, if we're completely honest. Uh, there's a lot of times where you pull out your Bible and you read through it and you're like, well, got my three chapters done for today, glad I don't have to do that again until tomorrow, or you go to pray and it's like, hey God, good talk, all right. And sometimes you're giving, like I know I'm supposed to give, but uh, like I really am not a joyful giver in doing this or in serving. And that really sums up what most of my life was like for the first 20 plus years, was growing up in church, knowing that these were the things that I was supposed to do, but a lot of it was pretty dry and it was pretty boring. I mean, Pharisees are the perfect example of this. They knew their scriptures better than any of us know our scriptures. They memorized it from the time that they were children, but it was dry, it was lifeless, it was powerless in them. It didn't transform or change them. And so as I'm going through life, I have a desire, I really want to follow after Jesus, I want to be. I have a passion to be passionate about God, but I'm not actually passionate about him. I, I want to be passionate about the different spiritual disciplines that I'm developing. I want to know God intimately, deeply, closely. I want to be used mightily by God to advance his kingdom. Mentally, I recognize all of these things, but there's a heart issue that's going on inside of me that becomes the barrier or the block that keeps me from being able to move into everything that God had called me to do. And I started to accept that this was just the way life was. That there were some people that God had called, that God had done something special or different in, and they were really passionate about Jesus and his kingdom. And then there was the rest of us who believed in him, and someday when we get to heaven, I'm sure we'll be a lot more passionate about him then and about all of the things of God at that point. And I moved to Tennessee after school, and uh, I was in a band, and I got hired into this church Where before we started making income from doing shows. Uh, we got hired in at a church as their worship band. And it was a full gospel Pentecostal church, which I grew up Methodist. And it was like as big of a shift in what you could ever experience or expect in church as you could possibly go through. I remember I'm sitting up there playing, and I'm watching people, and I'm thinking, like, oh my gosh, Jesus, I'm in a cult. Like, what's going on here? These people are absolutely insane. There is something like crazy that's going on. But they paid me, so I kept going back and I kept playing. And uh, I did what all good Christians do. I judged them and thought that they weren't really spiritual people, all that kind of stuff. Well, as I started hanging out with them more, curiosity started to stir up inside of me. Because what I recognized about these people that I was around that I thought were crazy was that they were passionate about Jesus. And you can say what you want about them. And there was definitely some weird, excessive things that were going on that I don't think are right or good. But hey, here's the bad news. We all do things that aren't right or good. If we knew what it was, we would change it. But that's a part of the process of growing in our faith as God continues to reveal things to us. But what I couldn't deny was the fact that these people had a passion for Jesus that I didn't have. What I couldn't deny was that God was using them in powerful ways that he wasn't using me. And what I couldn't deny was that they had something, there was a joy and a peace, a contentment that they had, uh, and a desire to read and to worship and to pray that wasn't a part of my life. So it stirred up curiosity in me and I started having conversations with them about what's going on in your life that's different than mine because I'm reading my Bible, here's my reading plan, I'm praying, I'm like forcing myself, I'm gutting it out through 20 minutes of prayer a day, I'm giving, I'm doing all of these other things, I'm serving, but what's different? And they began to talk to me about something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And for some of you just hearing that, it might stir up some bad things, or maybe you've grown up in a cessationist type of a church that believes it's not for today. I was completely right there with you. That's how I grew up. Um, I, I did not believe in it or even really understand what it was. Having gone to church my entire life, I never heard one message on it or in Sunday school anything about it. So this was new to me. And I was trying to match up, okay, I see something happening and there's a difference in the experience that I'm having in my relationship with Jesus. So I want to figure out what's going on here because one of us is crazy. Either these people are crazy and I want to like confirm that it's scripturally or I'm the crazy one because there's a passion for Jesus that's available to me that I'm not like going after. And so it sent me on this path of I went through my New Testament and I divided it up into seven readings because I was in a band so we had lots of time. And I read through my New Testament every week. In seven days, and I'd start over, and I'm circling things, underlining things, writing out questions, praying through it, trying to discover what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer today? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is it for today? How do I receive that? I was trying to walk through all of these questions. And as I went through that, uh, this is where I started. Uh, I actually read through the entire Bible, but in Genesis 1-2, it says this. That the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And what this is talking about, this is the creation account of how God's creating everything that's on earth. And it says that the Holy Spirit is the one that's there at the beginning. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. We believe in a God that is triune, meaning that he is one being, but three persons that are all one in essence, but also three distinct persons. Now, if that blows your mind, it blows my mind too. Uh, There's no way that we can understand it. It's a part of the mystery of our faith, but it's what we can see revealed all through Scripture. And the Holy Spirit is there, the third person in the Godhead, And the word that it uses for the Holy Spirit there actually is also used in other places in the Bible to mean breath, Uh, it means wind, it means spirit, it means to blow, to breathe, or to set a fire. That's the word that is used for the Holy Spirit. The first time that we see God in Scripture is the Holy Spirit's there, the breath, fire, the one that sets on fire, the Spirit. And then right in Genesis chapter 2, just tuck that away because we'll come back to it. In Genesis 2-7 it says, Then the Lord God formed the man... Of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And when it says that he breathed into it, it also can be translated as he spirited into Adam and he became a living creature. So God goes and he forms every animal and then he forms man. He physically forms, it says that he shapes and fashions Adam. But he's not a living soul, is another way it is translated, until he breathes the breath of life, until he spirits into him the Holy Spirit. And that's the way that we were created to live. It's the way that we were created to exist was with the presence of the living God dwelling inside of us. That was the default operating system for us. The presence of the living God dwelling inside of us and that's what makes us living souls. It's what makes us living creatures. Now what happens though is sin enters into the equation. God says if you sin that you're going to die. So Adam and Eve sin and they think that they're still alive. What they don't realize is that they spiritually died at that moment. When they sinned, they lost relationship with the Holy Spirit. The presence of God left them at the moment of when they rebelled against God and rejected him. So they go from being spiritually living beings to just physically living beings at that point. Relationship is broken off with God. It says that they used to like, enjoy the presence of God in the cool of the evening. They would walk with him and they would talk with him. But all of that is lost, all of that is broken because of the ramifications of sin in our relationship with God. Now we're going to skip forward to Joel chapter 2 because even though we are the ones who broke the relationship with God, God was the one who was going to come and he was going to restore that which had been lost by us through our sin. In Joel chapter 2, 28 through 29, it says, Then after all of those things I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions in those days i will pour out my spirit even on servants men and women alike what jesus is talking about in this scripture is that there's going to come a time of where he's going to pour out his spirit on all of humanity once again all through the old testament you see people that were prophets They were people that God raised up. or was one person in a generation. The Holy Spirit would be poured out on them. They would have a close, intimate relationship with God like we see with Moses, like we see with Isaiah, Joel, all of these different people that God picked and that he used. They would be supernaturally empowered to do the things that he had called them to do, but it was only available to them. It wasn't available to everybody else. The Spirit of God would just come on a few select people that God chose for his purposes throughout the course of the Old Testament. Just a very few people. But what Joel is speaking to is that that's not the way that God wants things to exist. It wasn't his original intent or plan for you. And it's not the way that he wants things to continue to go on. But that what God wants is for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on all people. Every single person. And that not just that that's his desire, but it's saying that there is a day that's going to come where that's going to be the reality for us. The day is coming where God, by his decision, by his doing, is going to pour out his Spirit on all people. And it says that there's going to be supernatural things that occur. It says that your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. They're going to have visions and dreams. It's going to change the way that the world works. It's going to change the way that we live our life. Everything's going to be different about us when the Spirit of God is poured out. And so what we see in that is that Jesus promises that his Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all people and that it's going to change us drastically. It's going to change those Now, like that person might have the Spirit of God poured out on them. It's going to be really obvious when the Spirit of God is poured out on people. Luke chapter 3, verse 16 says, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We're continuing to move through the timeline of Scripture. Now we've gone from the place of Joel saying that there's going to be a time someday in the future where the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on you, it's going to change the way that you live. To now seeing that John the Baptist, the one who's preparing the way for Jesus to come, he himself is acknowledging, What I'm doing is I'm baptizing you with water for repentance from your sins. That's what he's doing in the Jordan River. It's not changing your life, it's not changing the way that you live, but it's the symbol of you saying, I repent of my sins. The filth of sin that's on me, I'm repenting of that, and that's washed off of me when I'm baptized in the water. But John says that there's something better that's coming, there's someone better who's coming. And he's speaking of Jesus, and he says that when Jesus comes, he's not going to baptize you for repentance of your sins like I'm doing. He says that I'm going to, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That word baptize means to immerse. It comes from the Greek word baptizo, and that means that you're, you're going to be immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you're going to be immersed in the presence of God. This is what John says Jesus is going to do. This is why Jesus is coming to earth, is because he wants to pour out his Spirit on all of humanity. He wants to immerse us in the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who is breath, the one who brings the wind, the wind, the one who sets on fire. And then it continues on in John chapter 16, verse 7. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Jesus is at the end of his ministry. These are some of the last words that he's speaking to his disciples before he's about to be betrayed and he's about to be crucified. And he tells them, it's actually to your advantage that I'm going to go away. Because when I leave the earth, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, the one who's the helper, the one who's the advocate. Those are different translations of that word. And Put yourself in the disciples' place here. It's to your advantage or to your benefit that I'm going to go away. There is no conceivable world that I could live in where I could could say, yeah, definitely, Jesus, it's good that you're going away. They're walking with Jesus. What would you give to be able to walk physically, tangibly with Jesus? to be able to ask him questions and hear his audible voice spoken back to you, to see all of the miracles that he's performing, to hear him do all of the teachings, to be able to live your life with Jesus. That's what the disciples had the ability to do for three years. Uh, What could be better than that? But Jesus says that something better is coming. It's to your advantage that I leave you, that I not walk with you physically on the face of the earth anymore, because when I leave... I'm going to send you someone who's going to be even better for you. I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send you the advocate. And that's the Holy Spirit, is that Jesus is going to leave and it's going to be to our advantage. He goes to the cross. He's died. He's buried. And he's resurrected. And then he appears to his disciples again in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now remember, this is Jesus like, raised from the dead, appearing to them, saying things like, Peace be with you, which must have just freaked them out. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this to them, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now what is this an image of? We go back to Genesis, that's why we started there. The Holy Spirit, breath, wind, the one who sets on fire. Jesus, when he's creating humanity, creates Adam, says that he breathes into his nostrils. And it's at that point that he becomes a living soul. What we see Jesus doing here is now after he's died, he's for our sins, he was buried, he was raised from the grave, the disciples look at him and now it clicks. They say, oh my goodness, you're the Messiah. You're the one who forgives my sins. You're the one that I've been waiting for all this time. All of scripture, all of the prophets, all of this I've been learning about waiting for the day when I was going to be saved, when salvation would come. It's you You provided it. You're God. You've conquered death. I believe that you're God. I believe that you died for my sins, and my faith for my salvation is now in you. That was the moment where the disciples were brought spiritually to life. And at that moment, they received the restoration of what God created us to have. It says Jesus breathes on them. He spirits into them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. What we lost in the garden through sin, Jesus restored for us through the cross. But that's not the end. And that's great. That's the born-again moment when every one of us made that decision to follow after Jesus. What happened was Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into you, and you became a living soul. Spiritually, you came to life. Every single one of us, we received the Holy Spirit, we were filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's more. That isn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That isn't what Joel was talking about. This was the restoration of our connection with God. This was us being resurrected, raised back to spiritual life with Jesus. This was us receiving the power of God to begin to shape us and to transform us, to begin to bear spiritual fruit inside of us and to make us into the image of Jesus. But there's more to it that Jesus has for us and this is how we know that because after this has happened, after Jesus has said, receive the Holy Spirit and he's breathed on them, now if we're making a timeline, this occurs after that. In Acts chapter 1, 4 through 8, Jesus is about to leave to ascend back into heaven. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said you heard from me for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now so he's actually quoting what it was that the, uh, that John the Baptist said about himself that Jesus was going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit so when they had come together, they asked him, "'Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?' And he said to them, "'It is not for you to know times or seasons "'that the Father has fixed by his own authority, "'but you will receive power "'when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, "'and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, "'and to the ends of the earth.'" Remember, they've already received the Holy Spirit. They've become spiritually living creatures because of their faith in Jesus for their salvation. But Jesus says that now, before I send you out to accomplish the great commission of making disciples of all of the nations, that you need to wait. I'm giving you this incredible, huge job, and I'm telling you that before you go and start doing that, you have to sit here and you have to wait until you receive power from on high, that word power is dunamis, which we can translate into the word dynamite. It's an explosive, supernatural power that Jesus says that we need to wait for because until we receive that, we're not going to have the power and the strength that we need to accomplish the task that he's given us to make disciples of all of the nations. That's why we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why we wait for the power that comes from on high, is because this life that we're living right now, is not just about us. If it was just about us, then Jesus breathing into you and giving you the Holy Spirit to fill you, to bring you to spiritual life, that would be all that you need. That's all that you need to go to heaven. It starts a transformative work on the inside of you and it produces spiritual fruit inside of you. But it doesn't change your ability to go and to accomplish that which God's called you to, which is to make disciples of all the nations. Think about this. Jesus didn't even go out and try to make disciples of all the nations until after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. When he's baptized, it says that the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. He receives power from on high. And it's after that that he goes out and begins his supernatural ministry, supernatural boldness, supernatural wisdom, supernatural miraculous power that's being demonstrated in what it is that he's doing so that he can accomplish everything that he came here for. Jesus is doing the same thing for us. He said that you're going to do even greater things than the things that you've seen me do. How can we do that? When we receive power from on high through the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the same way that Jesus did. We've been called to make disciples, but we can't do that until we receive the same power that Jesus had for him to accomplish what he was doing. So the disciples are all sitting there and they're waiting as for 10 days, they're sitting there and they're waiting because Jesus has ascended into heaven and they're just waiting for power from on high to come and to clothe them so that then they can go and make disciples in all the nations. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 19, I'm sorry, uh, people are running graphics because I might have changed some things, so it's my fault if it's not right. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came uh, uh, from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Remember imagery of the Holy Spirit. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested. Remember, the one that sets on fire. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound of the multitude they came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and lots of other places and skipping forward. And we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking them said, They are filled with new wine. Basically they're saying these people are drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Saying, it's 9 a.m., these people aren't drunk. But this is what is uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens and above the signs and earth below. And then Peter starts talking about how Jesus was the Messiah that was crucified, that was raised from the dead. And jumping to the verse 37, this is the response. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added to that day about 3,000 souls. This is the first altar call that ever occurred. They are waiting for a power to come to them from on high For the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was promised through Joel that John affirmed and that Jesus even says that I'm the one who's going to do this for you. Go and wait and it's going to come to you. You're going to receive the power from on high through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to set you on fire. They're sitting there praying and fasting for 10 days in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes. The sound of the rushing wind. The tongues of fire that come and rest on them. And they go out Filled with supernatural boldness, beginning to do supernatural things. When it says that they're speaking in other tongues, it means that they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus being the Messiah in languages that they don't know. For the Feast of Pentecost, Jews from all over the world have come into this one place that don't all speak the same language but they're all gathered here at this one place and they all hear the the good works of Jesus and his death and resurrection being pro- proclaimed to them in their own languages by 12 guys who don't know any language but their own it's a miracle they never could have done that on their own that was the supernatural power of God that they received with the baptism of the holy spirit Because God didn't call you just to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus on the inside. He called you to become like Jesus in everything that you do, including the way that you go out and you do evangelism. God wants to use you to make disciples of all of the nations, and your own limitations are no limit for God when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's no language barrier that can't be overcome. This is a proof. This is a sign, a wonder, like Joel talked about, that affirmly, like, there's something that's going on here. We can't deny that God is doing a powerful work. God's up to something. And 3,000 people, because of that, put their faith in Jesus. And this is what Peter says. This promise is for you. This is what God was talking about in Joel. It's happened. You've just seen it. But it wasn't just for us. It's for all of you, and not just for you, but for your children, and not just your children, but all the generations who are to come. We have the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ, and we also have the promise that we're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In this context, do you think it's likely that what Peter was talking about was that you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that's just going to transform me on the, on-, on the inside, but it isn't going to have any supernatural boldness or power that comes along with it. There's no way he would have seen it as that. He just got baptized with the Holy Spirit, saw miracles occur, 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus. He said, this is for all of us. And not just in this time and of our apostles. I know one of the popular thoughts is that God ceased to work that way with the death of the last apostle. That's nowhere in scripture. It contradicts what Peter said. He said, this gift is for you, your children, for all generations that are to come. It's what Joel's talking about, that in the last days, meaning that after the death of Jesus, everything after the resurrection of Jesus is considered the last days. That in these days that God wants to pour out his spirit on all people and it's going to be in a way that transforms the way that we live our lives and the way that we do ministry. God wants to clothe us with supernatural power from on high through the baptism or the immersion in the Holy Spirit. Here's what happened. The baptism of the Holy Spirit made them supernaturally bold witnesses. These people who were cowering in fear, these people who Jesus when he's going to the cross, they all abandon him. When Jesus gets arrested, it says that one of them like runs away naked. He's so scared. They grab onto his cloak, it comes off, and he just keeps running away naked. That's a coward. That is a scared person. Might be weird coming back for the cloak if you're naked too, though. I don't know. Maybe you just keep running. They're denying Jesus. Peter's denying Jesus to a little girl. Do you know Jesus? No, and like curses the girl out. This same guy just a few weeks later, is standing up proclaiming the goodness of Jesus to thousands of people. Yeah, I know him. It might cost me my life, but I know him. And here's who Jesus is. They receive supernatural boldness. Again, he's arrested. They're beaten. They're told never to preach in the name of Jesus again or it's going to cost you your life. And they go back and they huddle up and they pray together again and say, now God, fill us with boldness again so that we'll continue to proclaim your name. And they go back out. And it says again, their room's shaken as the Holy Spirit's poured out on them again. And they go out and proclaim the goodness of Jesus. If you're weak in your faith, if you're weak in your evangelism, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it will bring you supernatural boldness. It gave them supernatural gifts. Speaking languages they didn't know so they could communicate the gospel to someone else. That is an insane miracle. And you read through them, there's other things that they're doing to continue to be proofs and signs and wonders that confirm the message that they preach. Their physical limitations, their intellectual, emotional limitations were no limitation for them when the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and they were immersed in his power. And it also gave them a supernatural passion for Jesus and for his kingdom. All of them but one ended up giving their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them. And John, the only one who wasn't martyred, it wasn't for a lack of trying on other people's part. God just supernaturally spared him time and time again. You're passionate about something when you're willing to live for it and to die for it. And what they found was that Jesus was so good, that he was so worthy, that they would lay down their life For his cause. And they would spend every moment of their life doing everything that they could to glorify Jesus and to make him known. Why? That's not something you can just willpower yourself into. It's because they had a supernatural passion for Jesus that they received when the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. After going through these scriptures, and this is the very brief summary of my findings as I was going through it week after week after week. And what I discovered was that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was definitely for today. That it was definitely something that I needed. That I needed passion for Jesus. That I needed boldness inside of me that I needed supernatural power to be able to accomplish all of the things that God has called me to do as I'm making disciples in my city, in my nation, in the nations all over the face of this earth, that I can't do it on my own, that I need power from on high through the Holy Spirit. I need to be transformed and changed just like I was talking about in Joel, just like Jesus said was going to happen, just like Peter promised would be available to all of us, that I wanted that and I needed it. And I remember... I don't know, it was a, a Friday night, and I closed my Bible, and I was just convinced, I need this. And so I called my friend Chris and Todd over, who I was living with, and like, they called them into my room. I said, guys, I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, all right, yeah, well, let's have the pastor pray for you Sunday Sunday morning after church. I said, no, I'm not going another moment of my life without it. I cannot, I cannot wait until Sunday to receive this gift from Jesus. I said, well, we don't know what to do. I said, well, I don't think it depends on us. I said, let's just ask Jesus to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. So they laid their hands on me. I always remember in my little room off of Highway 120 in Tennessee, I just raised my hands, and we just prayed that God would give me the good gift that he would promised as I did that, like just passion for Jesus just poured inside of me. Like I'd never known before. I became so we put so much focus, I think, on what happens at that moment. There's some people that say, hey, you need to have a spiritual prayer language that you receive when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or not, like that's not that's not the focus of it. Like what the focus is is what happens in your life after that moment where you ask God to fill you with power from on high. And here's what happened to me is I became passionate about Jesus. Where once everything had been dead and an exercise of willpower and self-control, suddenly I found myself so passionately in love with Jesus and so passionate about his kingdom cause that I didn't like. Okay, I got to read my three chapters. This is, I, I got to put my Bible down because I have to go to bed at some point tonight. Because when I opened scriptures, it just like jumped off the page to me. The Bible became alive to me, like I'd heard people talk about that it would be. And as I began to read it, the Holy Spirit, who inspired the writing of it, who was now filling me and had immersed me in Himself, was speaking to me and revealing to me the truth of Scripture. When I began to pray, it wasn't like, okay, I got to pray. Oh, here's my list. It's like, Jesus, I get to, I get to talk to you. I get to encounter the living God. I get to commune with him. I get to petition heaven to see his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. When I went to worship, before I was worshiping because I was paid to play. Like that is the worst thing that you could ever possibly do. But I learned from being, like, doing worship because I was paid to and I was making ends meet while I was trying to be a rock star. It's like this is the only thing that I ever want to do with the whole rest of my life. I guess hard for me to get up here and preach because I just want to keep worshiping. I just want like, to keep going, joy, Just keep going. I don't want to talk. I just want to worship Jesus because now I have a love for him and I encounter the one that I love so much. And these words that we sing, it's not just that they rhyme or have a clever tempo or beat. It's like these are words of life as I'm singing these songs to my Savior. Everything about my life changed. And here's the one thing that was like, okay, something definitely happened. I went home about two weeks later my older sister, who can confirm this, uh, she had torn her rotator cuff in her arm and she had surgery on it and the surgery failed. Like, still just an incredible pain. Couldn't go back to work. Didn't have uh, any range in her arm. And so I'm sitting there talking to her. Oh, it's like 2 a.m. in the morning because you know, like, that's what you do when you get together with your siblings when you don't see them that often. You just sit up and talk. And the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me. He says... I want you to pray for her. Why don't, you, why don't you pray that her shoulder's healed? I'm like, nah. Like, I don't believe in that. <laughs> and he's like, no, I want you to do it. And it, just, like, it was like an alarm bell going off in my head if I were to refuse God doing this. And so I'm like, hey, Jenny, do you believe Jesus can heal you? She's like, yeah, I believe he can heal me. I'm like, Would you mind if I prayed for you for healing? She's like, yeah, let's do that. So I don't know any words. Like Nobody teaches you how to do this. Just go up and I'm like, Jesus, we believe that you're a healer. And God, I pray that you would bring healing into her shoulder, full restoration, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Nothing fancy, nothing fiery. She just starts doing this. Like this miraculous, instantaneous healing of her shoulder. And it wasn't me. I just asked Jesus to do it because I had enough, like, the ability to hear him speak to me because I've been clothed with power on high, and now there were supernatural giftings that he put inside of me. Now the next person I prayed for died. So that goes to show you that I'm not in charge of it. It's not something I control or, like, make it work or magic it up. It's the Holy Spirit who does it. I've prayed for way more people than have been healed. But I'll pray for everybody because I believe in power from on high. This morning, if you've been living as a Christian, but it's been passionless, if it's been a struggle, if this has been a bunch of disciplines that you've been developing in your life to try to live a good life or try to make Jesus happy with you, if you've been lacking boldness in your witness, if you just need some fire, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful gift that's been made available to every single one of us. How do we get it? God already did the work. Jesus went to the cross. He died for you. He paid the price. It's not about what you do. It's about what he's already done. This is what Jesus says about asking for the Holy Spirit, because all we do is ask. It says in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You want power from on high? You want what Joel prophesied about? You want what Jesus said that you need to accomplish everything you need? And once again, you don't need this for salvation. You received and you were filled with the Holy Spirit when you put your faith in Jesus and you're on your way to heaven and he's transforming you on the inside. This isn't about like, there's platinum level Christians and there's silver level Christians. It's not about that. It's about God has more. He wants you to step into it. He wants you to ask him as you've been waiting on him for supernatural power from on high so that we can make disciples I don't know if you've looked around a lot but our world needs it someone asked me to say do you watch the news and I hate it because every time I watch the news all I see is murder all I see is rape all I see is oppression, all I see is persecution and racism all I see is all of these things that are so far from what God's called us to be and to do Our world needs us to rise up as the church of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it can't afford to be limited by the limitations that we all naturally have. The church of Jesus Christ needs power from on high so that we can accomplish everything that he's called us to be, so that the world around us can receive the full blessing that Jesus won for them on the cross. All it takes is you asking for it. It's ready and it's available. Are you ready for wind? Are you ready for fire? Because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to baptize with fire, the Holy Spirit. We just have to ask. Every eye open. That's you this morning. there's a couple things that can limit us one is we don't believe that it's available you'll never ask for what you don't believe in second thing is we see in scripture some people don't receive it because of unrepentance in their heart from sin issues and some people don't receive it because there's been unforgiveness in their heart towards other people if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit right now you get right God forgive me repent of your sin forgive the people you've been holding it against If you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning, if you want to be like I did, where it's like, I can't wait another second longer, I'm not waiting, like I need it right here and right now, I need boldness, I need fire, I need passion, I need miraculous power to do what Jesus is calling me to. Will you be bold enough just to raise up your hand? That's me, I want that. It took boldness for me to do it, and to call my friends who didn't even understand what it was. That's right, that's awesome, thank you. Thank you for that. We're going to do one more thing. I'm going to dismiss all of you, and you can go. Those of you that raise your hand, I want you to come forward. As everybody else please. I want you to come forward. And we're going to pray here, just like I prayed in that basement in Tennessee, that Jesus would come and that he would baptize me, and he's going to baptize you too. And maybe you're changing your mind and you decide you want that too, you can come up as well. Well, Jesus, thank you for everything that you've done in our hearts. Jesus, thank you for the good gifts that you give. We receive them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, God bless the guys come forward.